Now, back in 1987, a young family was struggling to make ends meet. They had three children, and the father was a chemist who'd been made redundant or laid off work, and uh, his hobby was making wood treatment products. So he decided to, in his little workshop, make these products, sell them to raise income. And the problem was that the products uh, that he was making were, he was using toxic materials. And he tried for a long time to make a similar product, which was water-based, that didn't have the toxic materials. It's a little bit like my job, uh, putting mercury into people's mouths with mercury fillings. Simply I'm doing that because, as yet, nobody's come up with a material that is as easy to work with and as cheap and as manageable and as, and as durable. Uh, I'm sure it'll come one day, but as yet it hasn't. Um, unfortunately, shortly after this, tragedy struck when very, very suddenly one of the children uh, traumatically lost their lives. And um, in their travail and in their grief, they turned to the church and both Barry and Julie were gloriously saved. And they decided eventually to start or try and have another child. But unfortunately, Julie had a number of miscarriages. And she went to the doctor and the doctor said, more or less told her, don't try for any more children. You'll not be able to carry a child for anywhere, anything like the full term. But Julie, shortly after that, became pregnant once again. And um, she was determined to try and give this child every chance. And so every day she spent as much time resting as she could. And every day, Barry and Julie got together and Barry prayed for the safety of the child and the safety of the mother. And it was in one of these prayer times that suddenly the Holy Spirit filled the room where they were praying. And Julie, the Holy Spirit impressed on Julie a series of letters and numbers. Very, very clearly in her mind. They meant nothing to her. But they were so clear that she began to write them down. And she gave them to Barry. Barry looked at them. And he recognized immediately that this was a formula for making a wood treatment product. He went to his tool shop, his workshop. He made the product, which was water-based and which was even better than the toxic one. And he developed from that a series of wood products, which his, his uh, little business developed. And um, obviously, because it was a non-toxic material, that's what people wanted to buy. And his business took off. And shortly after that, a businessman came along and offered a very large sum of money for this business with its secret formula. And Barry and Julie were able to give up work and give themselves full time into Christian service, into missions and evangelism. And... Um, that's not the end of the story, because Julie also carried that child to the full term. 
And a lovely son was born to them, healthy and whole. Now, it's a true story, and it's a remarkable story, and I wonder what our reaction is to a story like that, because we can react, if we're really honest, and say, well, what an amazing story of God's graciousness and compassion and love. But when I look at my life, it doesn't always seem to work quite like that did. And I find myself asking exactly the same question in August last year. Asking God, why have you allowed these things to happen to me? Because for six months, with military precision, I had planned to do some work in the waiting room back at the surgery. And it involved some major uh, changes and uh, quite an upheaval. And so I selected, I handpicked various workmen, uh, specialists in their trade, to come along and do the work that was necessary. It all had to be done in a week when we closed for business. And it was all planned, as I say, months in advance. The first day came to begin the work. The first people turned up. I could spend all morning telling you about this, I'm not going to do, but the first thing that happened was the decorator stripped a wall that wasn't supposed to be stripped. Within an hour, the gas man turned up with a new fire, The fire had been surveyed, it was all planned, and he turned and looked to me and said, Sorry, Gov, this ain't going to fit in here. You're going to have to have the whole fireplace out and all the rest of it. And it was just like sort of dominoes going down. One thing happened and then another, and uh, I had two major plumbing disasters, quite unrelated to what was going on in the waiting room. Um, The custom-built furniture arrived and was wrongly measured, it didn't fit. The cabinet hosted all the records, dental records, somehow was uh, rotated 180 degrees, so you couldn't even get to the records without squeezing behind the unit. The following week, when it was finally set up, the whole thing toppled. My £1,400 new cabinet lay in ruins, buckled, and broken with all the records mixed together and my front room smashed to pieces. And I was just wondering what was going to happen next. You know what it's like? You think, you know, what's what's going to happen next? Um, It was just amazing. Uh, And something happened to a member of staff and I had to fire them for gross incompetence. I was just in that state where, what's going to happen next? God, why are you allowing this to happen? Uh, It was one thing after another. And sometimes, in our own lives, these things are trivial to sometimes what can happen in our own lives. Catastrophic events can take place. And we begin to ask God, why? Why is this happening to me? Sarah, in her work as a paediatric nurse, deals with a lot of very sick children and the trauma of parents of those children. And she was looking after a little child for a year um, last year where the parents had longed to have a son, the three girls, they'd longed to have a son. The son was born with a neuroblastoma, which is a a tumour. And Sarah looked after him for his second year of life before he died. And she had to sort of try and counsel parents 
in that situation. What a tragedy. I mean, long for a son and then to see his short life after two years uh, be ended like that. And the mother gave to Sarah his favorite reading book after he died. And Sarah had to arrange the, for the child to go home by ambulance because they liked them to have the last few days at home before they die. A good friend of mine, given his life and his service, his wife as well, for full-time Christian ministry for many, many years. Four children, three going on with the Lord, but the oldest son, who was a Christian, has fallen away and is far from God. The anguish that that can cause us when somebody close to us, a member of our family, is far from God. I know the heartache that that causes uh, the family. Kate and I have a friend who's seen amazing miracles of healing in his life and ministry. And yet his wife is at home in a wheelchair and has been for many years. How do we grapple with issues like this? How do we cope with them? How do we deal with them? How do we sort of ask God, why? Why is this happening? And I believe that on some occasions, these events that can happen to us can sort of almost form a barrier between us and God. They sort of can come between us and they can be a stumbling block in our walk and our relationship with him. Well, what can we learn from the story of Habakkuk? Now, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a well-known preacher, um, decided with his congregation that he would preach through the book of Romans. Do you know how long it took him? It took him 14 years (laughs) uh, to preach through the book of Romans. So that's just over a chapter a year. Um, But that's beaten by a 17th century Puritan called William Gouge, who spent 33 years in ministry preaching through the book of Hebrews. So you'd be glad to know that isn't going to happen this morning. Um, We just have a very, very short time to look at a brief overview of the book, but we won't be going into any great detail. But just to let me give you the background of of Habakkuk, Habakkuk was a prophet, he prophesied about 20 years after Zephaniah had had brought his prophecy, and in those 20 years there'd been no word from from God. Uh, The events took place in around 600 BC, during the reign, reign of King Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was a worldly, selfish uh, king, and the state of Israel was in a pretty desperate state. Uh, There was a lot of lawlessness, bribery, corruption, and oppression. And in fact, in Jerusalem in those days, it wasn't safe to walk the streets at night. And it's into this situation that Habakkuk brings the word of God. Now, Habakkuk is unusual in three ways. First of all, normally the prophet addresses, uh, God addresses the people through the prophet. You'll find if you read Habakkuk that uh, Habakkuk speaks to God directly. Uh, It's called interrogatory prayer. And it's asking God questions and having that dialogue between him and God. And God answers him back uh, himself. Secondly... Um, the, the, another thing that's slightly unusual is that Habakkuk writes down words from God on tablets of stone, or some commentators think that he wrote it on a wall. And the third thing that's a little bit unusual is Habakkuk sets the final chapter that we read, that it was actually set 
to music that he had composed himself because uh, Joan avoided the word and I advised her to, that to do that. It says a prayer according to Shigionoth, uh, which basically means a prayer set to wild, uh, triumphal and enthusiastic music. So perhaps our musicians could come up with a piece similar to that, uh, perhaps for next week. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Wild, enthusiastic and triumphal music. Habakkuk himself, the name means one who embraces or one who clings. And uh, Habakkuk was one who wrestled with God. He sort of clung on, he hung on in there. And he asked God these questions, these difficult questions. And he, he brings his complaints. We talk about, uh, you'll read the word complaint. He complains to God. First he complains that God isn't doing anything with the situation that the people were in. Complains about that. And then when God steps in and tells him what he's going to do, uh, Habakkuk again complains that this, um, the way that God is dealing with it is too severe. And you could also almost get the idea that uh, Habakkuk is a bit of a, a grumpy old man, really, the way if you read it between the lines. Now, Jill tells me that, uh, she's told me once or twice lately, that I'm turning into a grumpy old man. <laughs> yeah, there's some nods there. Uh, you, you'd be quite amused if you watched us drive down the motorway. Because I usually drive, and Jill is sort of the passenger, but she's also driving. <laughs> and um, if anybody gets in our way or does a manoeuvre which she's not pleased with, when I overtake these, the person in the car, she gives them <laughs> the Gillian stare. And if we're travelling now to Rachel's, I'm sure she does that at least six times. Uh, so we're turning into the grumpy old couple, I think. But uh, certainly in... As we're driving, anyway. Um, but yeah, it, it seems a little bit grumpy. He complains. He's never quite satisfied with what God is doing. And um, basically, as I say, he's, he's complaining that the nation of Israel is descending into this depravity. And God seemingly isn't doing anything. And then God replies. And God says, I've already begun to move. You just can't see it. Uh, you wouldn't believe what I'm going to do. And again, uh, God explains that he's going to bring the nation of Babylon uh, as, uh, as a way of punishing the nation. Now, previously that, Babylon isn't mentioned in the Bible very often. Uh, for those who are Bible scholars, you remember King Hezekiah? And you remember King Hezekiah fell sick. And Isaiah comes to him and says, you're going to die, prepare yourself, you're going to die. And Hezekiah pleads with God. And God relents and gives him, 50, I think it's 15 more years. You can read it in Isaiah 39, I think. And um, so Hezekiah revives. And then the king of Babylon sends envoys with a sort of little gift that he's recovered. And when they arrive, he, um, Hezekiah shows them all the wealth of the nation in the temple and in his palace. And when Isaiah hears about it, he says, you've done a foolish thing, because one day the Babylonians will come and remove all this wealth. And that was a prophecy that in Habakkuk's day was about to be fulfilled. Up to that time, Babylon had been a small uh, town on the um, Tigris River, 
and there seemed little threat. But now, when God explained that the Babylonians were going to come, Habakkuk realized that the nation was in, in for trouble because the Babylon had become very powerful and uh, they posed a real threat. And he knew, Habakkuk knew, that the Babylonians had a ruthless and fierce reputation. They were the first nation to introduce a scorched earth policy on those countries they were invading, which basically meant they destroyed every sign of life. And that's why, remember the reading, though the fig tree does not blossom, though there be no sheep in the stall, Habakkuk realized that that was going to be what was left. And Habakkuk was also alarmed that the righteous people who were left in Jerusalem would also suffer and would also lose their life. But God responds to Habakkuk and God explains his actions and what he's going to do. And suddenly, if you read the story, there's only three chapters, but suddenly you move into chapter three and everything seems to change. And Habakkuk, in the quietness and the stillness, begins to reflect on all that he'd said to God and all that God had said to him. And he stops arguing, and in the quietness and in the stillness, Habakkuk opens his mind, and his whole demeanor changes. And he accepts that God can see the much bigger picture. God can see the beginning right through to the end. And he opens his mind and his heart and he accepts what God is going to do. And this change of mood and this change of heart brings him afresh into the presence of God. And um, perhaps we could put those last few verses up, Marilyn, which uh, conclude and we'll just read those again. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines... Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. So Habakkuk was able to transform his mind and his heart to one from questioning and complaining and grumbling to one where he was able to give himself afresh to God. And even though he was worried about the future, even though he he was fearful uh, and concerned about what was going to happen, he was able to find that peace and that trust in his God. Knowing that whatever was to befall them when the Babylonians came, God would be with him and God would take care of him. So, as we draw to a conclusion... I wonder if we think for a moment about our own personal situation and circumstances this morning. And I wonder if there are some here this morning who need to find this new place that Habakkuk was able to find in the midst of what you're going through, in the midst perhaps of what you've suffered in the past, in the midst of your concerns and your fears for what the future might hold. Is this a place that maybe for some of us this morning we need to find, that we need to come into. And I was pre- as I was preparing this morning, I felt the Holy Spirit led some thoughts on my mind, and I'm going to just bring those to you. 
they may not apply to you whatsoever, but there may be some here who this may be speaking to. And I do believe there are some here this morning who for some time you've been praying for a breakthrough in your life, perhaps in your life or in the life of somebody else. You've been praying for some time and still it seems God hasn't answered, still hasn't God hasn't intervened. And that situation remains unresolved. Or it may be that uh, you've never understood, understood why God allowed a certain situation or an event, perhaps in your past, to happen. Maybe the loss of a loved one. And still within you there is some pain and hurt that still remains unhealed. There may be some people here this morning who they look back on their lives and they think, if only, if only I hadn't taken that decision, if only I'd taken that step, my life would be so different. And you look back and think, if only. I believe there may be someone here this morning and you know that you have a medical problem and that medical problem has not been clearly identified and you're concerned about what that problem is and you're worried and you're anxious and you're wrestling with God and you're wondering what's going to happen. Maybe this place that we're talking about that Habakkuk found is the place you need to find this morning. Finally, I believe there may be someone here this morning who finds themselves in a relationship which isn't what it should be or could be. In fact, you feel almost trapped in this relationship, unable to see any way out of it or any way forward. And you're struggling to find God in that relationship and that situation. These are just a few things. There can be many other things that we have with unanswered questions. And you know, sometimes the enemy can seize on those areas of our lives and use them to weaken our faith and cause us to stumble and fall. This morning I'm asking if we can somehow in these situations choose to align our thoughts and our thinking and change our mindset like Habakkuk did and maybe find release from that which has bound us and find a new determination to move on into all that God has prepared for our lives. We're going to listen to a song now which is by Geraldine Latte. It's based on this passage of scripture that we read and uh, Michael's just going to put it on for us. But I'm going to just pray now that uh, God would use this piece of music to touch our hearts and to challenge us and maybe to remind us maybe of something that we're struggling with or grappling with at the moment before God and God wants to deal with it and God wants to step in. Father, I pray that as we listen to this music now, you would touch our hearts, you would transform us, you would bring to mind those things that we need to bring before you, and that, Lord, you would renew us afresh in your presence. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's listen to the music.
Let's pray, shall we? I believe this morning that this is the place that God is calling us into. It's a place of rest. It's a a place where our fears can somehow not completely disappear, but can be dissipated, can be helped. It's a place of refuge. It's a place of finding God in the midst of those difficulties. And it's a place where we say to God, make that conscious a thought, Lord, whatever I face in the future, I'm trusting you. My trust is in you. In his book, Dreaming with God, Bill Johnson reminds us of the mystery of the gospel. He reminds us that on this side of eternity, we will never fully understand all that God does, both in this world and indeed within our own lives. He says that sometimes believers abandon or dilute their call in order to feel better about their things they cannot explain. He says it's important to embrace what God has shown us so far and obey what he has commanded us, even in the midst of unanswerable questions. This, he says, is an honor beyond measure. It may be this morning that you want to just make a response. And I'm going to ask you now that while every head is bowed, maybe if this is a place that you feel you want to find this morning, in the midst of whatever you are going through or whatever has happened to you in the past, perhaps you could just raise your hand and just signify to me that that's the place that you want to find this morning. Thank you.